Andy Thunderthumb. All right, and I don't know if you realised it, but uh, our singers, they were fantastic today as well. But the girl that tinkled the ivory for us, Talia, is that it? That was her first crack. Huh? It's all right, eh? All right, good on you, mate. Good to see you involved. And you actually did well. The first couple of notes are always the hardest. Did you know that George Benson once said, if you know who George Benson is, one of the greatest guitarists that's ever lived, he said, most of my best songs start with a mistake. <laughs> anyway, it's a bit of useless information for you, fun fact. Um, what I've done today is I've actually done a little bit of a handout. It's kind of like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, good, 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 good. Just put him there, mate. Ta. You're worth more money. <laughs> I know you are because I know what they're paying you. All right. I've done a little handout here. So if you would like to partake now, unfortunately, um, being a minister, um, <clears throat> the funds are limited. So I only got about 30 or so of these done and then the inkjet ran out. And being an Adventist, I didn't go to Officeworks and fix that. So if you want one of those, you'll have to have a punch-up and get one. It's also, we've also got pencils happening, and you can follow us as we go along. Um, also, on the front desk here is a, um, is a cool little bookmark called Following Jesus. If you don't have one and you want one, grab one at the end of the sermon uh, or the talk, um, and it will help you if you're not real clear on how to read scripture or how to dive in, because, hey, I'm new with this and I can barely spell Jesus, or if you're the kind of person that's been around for quite some time and you know a bit about it, then this little bookmark here is really cool to have in your Bible. It will just give you a little bit of direction on how to read, how to study, how to discover more when it comes to Scripture. Okay, let's see if this little baby works. No. <laughs> right. Let's see if this works. I'll shoot him. There it is. Okay. There we go. All right, soul fatigue. The title of my presentation today. Let me start with a question. You just saw it. Anyone tired? Huh? Anyone tired? Year 12? You still with us or have you gone to sleep? Eh? What sort of week have you had? Anyone tired out there? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe you woke up this morning and you bounced out of bed, feet hit the, hit the floor and thought, you know what, if I put coffee in this baby, I tell you what, I'll be a danger to shipping. Maybe you thought that or maybe you looked in the mirror and you saw the person looking back at you and you said, man, I'm so full of vigour and vitality today that I'm fit enough to frighten the French. Or maybe, maybe you looked in the mirror and, oh man, I'm weary. Because the world in which we live is so fast-paced just in order to keep up. Oh, man, year 12s. Let me tell you something. The time of trouble is about to begin. Very soon, look forward to paying your own bills for a change, working hard for a living. I'm not talking about a weariness, though, that you'll get if you stayed up late watching TV. Not that kind of weariness. I'm not talking about a weariness that you get if you vacuum the uh, floor, uh, perhaps, Matt, five times, laid a few bricks, hard day's work. Not that kind of weariness. I'm talking about a weariness of head and a weariness of heart. It's just, oh, man. I just can't seem to fit everything in. The diary is chockers. Whatever happened to what John talks about in John 10.10? What's that about? In the KJV, it reads this way. I'm come to they may have life. They may have 
it more what? Abundantly. That's on your little handout there. Another God's Word translation says it this way, but I came so that my sheep will have life and so that they will have everything that they need. I believe that the weariness that some of us experience today, that weariness of, oh man, life's hard, is that kind of weariness that minimises the opportunity for the Lord to actually have you live the life that he intended you to live. You see, I think that for us as Christians, we say the evil one. If the evil one can't get us to openly defy God and live deliberately against him, then what he'll do is get us so busy and so weary that the net result is the same. Weariness is not God's will for your life. Jesus came to teach us another way. One day he looked at a bunch of people that were weary and haggard and worn out and burnt out on religion. Don't you love it when you do something up on a Mac and then you, anyway... Come to me, all you how weary and burdened. This is Jesus. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Or, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. And my burden is what? My burden is light. The Greek word there, krestos, is a word that actually means will not chafe. Talks about a yoke that was put on bullocks, around bullocks' necks. And if the yoke was krestos, it was well fitted, would not chafe, and suited the work that they were to do. Jesus says this, man, I know what sort of life you're going to live, because I've lived it. Year 12, you're about to embark on a life that some of us, that many of us that are advancing in years have had to wade through and puddle through for decades. Oh, it has its challenges, but I've got good news for you today. There's an old writer in the Old Testament that wrote some Pretty profound words. One of the greatest passages of Scripture, one of the best known passages of Scripture. David says this. We're going to unpack this a little bit later. The Lord is my shepherd. Another translation says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's old language. Another translation says, I have all I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me beside peaceful waters. He refreshes my soul. Another translation says, he renews my strength. Today, I want to talk to you about what is it? Soul fatigue. Why is it? that we just, probably most of us, me included, and I'm paid to be religious, why is it that we just sort of crash land into every weekend after a busy week? Huh? You feel like that? For those of you who are awake? I want to share with you what I believe are five indicators that indicate that perhaps you may suffer from soul fatigue. Number one, a frequent or constant sense of being rushed. A frequent 
or constant sense of being rushed. There's just not enough time in every day. Too many things, too many obligations. There's too many responsibilities. There's too many meetings to attend. There's too many emails to return. There's too many phone calls. There's too many text messages. There's too much activity on Facebook. There's just too much going on. It's an epidemic we deal with today. We're obsessed with the pace at which life is going today. Author Richard Swanson says, take a look at our lives. We send packages using express posts, use long-distance company called Fastway, diet with SlimFast, and we swim in a tire made by Speedo. We are tortured by the feeling that if we have one hiccup, one mishap, one delay, it'll put us behind and we can't catch up. We continually live with a feeling that we are rushed and in a hurry. Because we have that thing that experts talk about, soul fatigue. I'll say more about it, but we don't have time. Difficulty making decisions, sign number two. We're obsessed with alternatives. We're obsessed with choice. What guitar do I buy? Do I buy this one or do I buy that one? Do I buy this one over here? The price is good, but the tone's not as good. Um, We have so much choice that researchers term it choice overload. Pretty creative. Choice overload. Overload. Difficulty making decisions. You look at the choices open to us compared to those that lived a hundred years ago. For instance, Cam. If you were to wash your hair a hundred years ago, you'd probably still have issues. But if you were to wash your hair a hundred years ago, you'd use one type of soap. Today, there are over 1,260 Types of shampoo, shampoo for dry hair, oily hair, colored hair, limp hair, frizzy hair, damaged hair, not much hair, shampoo with an egg in it, shampoo for dandruff, shampoo for psoriasis, shampoo to make your hair smell like any kind of flower, any kind of fruit, and several kinds of vegetables. There's over 2,000 kinds of skin products. I should know. (laughs) My wife's got every one of them. Just remembered she's here today. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, I was born in 1960, do your sums. In the 60s when I was growing up, we had a TV, black and white TV. You had the choice of four stations. Now, if you're online, you have Netflix and you have all the other stuff, flicks. You have around about 72,000 choices of programs to watch on TV every month. None of them any good. Been in McDonald's lately? Seen their menu? It's like a book. You walk into a restaurant like I do and they hand you a book? You've got to keep sending the dude away. Yeah, not done yet, not done yet, not done yet. And that's just the entree. We have so many choices. Choice overload. How many wrestle with indecision? Hmm? Anyone here? Who's not sure? <laughs> Forget it, it's a gag. Sign number three, a surplus of information, but a deficit of wisdom. I get fatigued in my line of work. I get fatigued. There's so much information out there that I'm supposed to master and get a handle on. Communication stuff, this new stuff. Man, I'm still getting my head around MySpace. Year 12s probably thinking, what's that? 
There's so much stuff out there for us to master. I bought a digital watch not long ago. Does everything. Even tells the time. It had 29 pages in the extraction book just in English. How to set the date. How to use the stopwatch, how to send someone to the moon, you name it, it had everything. And if you couldn't work it out in English, you could swing over to Arabic, Chinese or German and have a crack at that. One day I'll take it away on holidays, thumb through it. I'm not wearing it day, that's 29 bucks. All it does is tell the time. Years ago, if you want to know what time it was, you slipped out the back and had a look at the sundial. Check out the shadow. Whatever the shadow said, that's about what time it was. It was raining or at night, you're on your own. But pretty much that was it. Now, oh man, we have information overload. We will go down in history at this point in time as the generation that had the most information available to it. But I'd like to submit to the court this morning, does that equate with being the most wise? Because I think, I believe, that we have equated information with wisdom. The writer of Proverbs puts it like this, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom, according to Solomon, who wrote this, touted as the wisest man to ever live. Wisdom is not equated to information. It's not equated to the right answer. The person who's considered the wisest is in the room is not the one that knows all the answers to the trivia questions. According to the wisest man that ever lived, he said this, the truly wise person is the person that doesn't have the right answers to life but has the right responses to what life throws at you. Wisdom comes slowly. You can't microwave it and it can't be rushed. And part of the problem we have in life today, because life is so rushed and we live at such a frenetic pace, we don't have time to build wisdom. Because wisdom takes time to develop. You can't just read it out of a book. To be truly wise in the light of what Solomon says is not just to know the information. It's how do you apply the information. And if you cease to or you don't even begin to apply the information that you are given as you collect on your walk through life, there's a danger that you will end up with what's called soul fatigue. A head full of facts, an expert in trivia, but unwise. Sign number four, a sense of stagnation or superficiality in my relationship with, I missed out a word, sorry, others and God. If I'm to be truthful to you, it happens to me. I ebb and flow this whole state. I know, I know I can't live in a state of spiritual euphoria every day. I have a spiritual sign curve that's like this. It ebbs and flows. Yours does too. 
And that's okay. But we need to guard against that pace of life that results in soul fatigue in the light of stagnation. My relationships with others and God. I know that sometimes when I get home, I'm not home. Linda reminds me of that. I know that some of you here today aren't here today. I realise that because of the pace of my life, my prayers are rushed. Sometimes they're set on the run. I look at my diary and I go, stink. I've overbooked. I've got a clash. I need to be in four places at once somehow. I'm running out of excuses. And you're probably no different. The issue and the problem with that is if we regularly allow life to live us, then it gives us no time to develop relationships with each other and God. Because I just don't have time to invest. I'm too busy. If we fail to be in the presence of God, then we fail to allow Him to develop our thoughts and to mould and shape us as we move along in life. Wouldn't it be a shame if we all came back this time next year exactly the same? No different. What's the point? I, like you, are bombarded by 2,000 adverts every day. Billboards, TV, computer, phone. You ever get sick of those pop-up ads? Huh? You ever use that ad blocker? Works for about 15 minutes. And someone's figured out a way to get around it. You hate that? Ads telling me what I need, what I don't need, what I may need what I'll never need, and if I do have it, how to get rid of it. Ads always trying to sell you stuff. The danger for you and I is if we come back next year and life, in the context of our relationships with each other and God, is pretty much the same as what it is today. Sign number five, do you have soul fatigue? Decreased ability to love. Everyone wants to be a more loving person. There's no one in the house today that would seriously stand up and say, you know what, I would really like to just wind it down, tone it down a little bit, wind it back and be a less loving person. One of the barriers of being a loving person is soul fatigue. Why? Because we don't have time for kindness and acts of service. Think about it. People who work in welfare and aid agencies talk about donor fatigue. People that work in volunteer institutions talk about compassion fatigue. They're real words. Parents have issues today parenting, not because they don't want to, but because of soul fatigue. Parents see that the kids need instruction and they need a, a hand around the shoulder and they need time to sit down and talk problems through, but we get so frustrated with what's on the agenda, we don't have time. And parents are becoming de-skilled as being parents. Not because they don't want to, it's because we don't have time. 
and society is reduced to we breed them, school, you fix them. Parents don't mean to be like that. Soul fatigue is a major problem in our society today. It creates people who are constantly rushed, always behind, indecisive, superficial, not connected and too tired to love. And we don't intentionally want it to happen. It just does because of the culture that we live in. There's five indicators. If you scored yes on some of those five indicators, perhaps some of you scored all five. Yep, that's me. There's a good chance you have soul fatigue. And what do you do about it? There's another way. It's been known for a long time. By those who are wise in the ways of of life, year 12. It is possible today to do it differently and learn from the generation just above you and the generation above that. In the words of Jesus Christ himself, he says, hey, I want to give you life and I want to give it to you more abundantly. He says, look, I know what life's going to deal you. Oh, you'll get so busy and wrapped up in this and chasing that and you'll be on the treadmill and a treadmill, you know what? Treadmill goes nowhere. You just build up a sweat. Lord says, there's another way. David, who was a warrior, he was also a king, so he was a pretty busy bloke. He put it this way. He wrote that famous passage of Scripture you'll find in Psalm 23. He knew all about the pressures and demands of life. And he said, if you want to get to the end of it with meat still on the bone and joy in the heart, then let me just pen a couple of lines for you. And what he did was this. He penned a couple of lines, four lines in particular, all pointing to the fifth line. If you have a look at it in the original Hebrew you'll see that the fifth line reflects each of the lines before it. It's kind of a guarantee that if you commit to this and this and this and this, you'll get that. This is what he said. The Lord is my shepherd. Basic instruction here. It's a basic question. He simply says this. Will you consider making the Lord, old language I know, your shepherd? The person who will look after you. The person who will guide and protect. Sheep belong to the shepherd. And sheep that belong to a certain shepherd, the shepherd will put a mark on them. And that way, the shepherd knows, ah, that's mine. And that one over there, and that one there. They'll mark the sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd. And David knew a lot about sheep because he was a shepherd. And he knew that the fate of sheep was dependent upon the skill of the shepherd. David had spent many, many hours sitting on a rock, guiding, feeding, and protecting sheep. (laughs) And as he did, the thoughts would ruminate. The Lord is my shepherd. David Keylor was a 20th century shepherd. He wrote a book about the 23rd Psalm based on his observations of being a shepherd. He says this, Sheep do not just take care of themselves. Sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. In other words, sheep are dumb. A good shepherd is always thinking about his sheep, what they need when they have to be guided, when they need to be protected, and when they need to be fed. God asks 
you every day. Will you let me guide you? Will you let me shepherd you? How does he do that? Through others, a community of faith. Through this book. He does it a myriad of different ways. But the question remains as this, will you allow me to shepherd you? The alternative is to say, no, I don't want a shepherd. I want to face life's challenges and problems and issues on my own. And that's okay, you can do that. But know this, you will have the constant anxiety of knowing that you're on your own. Yes, you'll face life's challenges and problems and issues and ultimately death on your own. Anyone in the house today ever find themselves worried about the future? You ever worry about that? Who in here has worked out that worry is a life-constructing way to deal with the future? Because it's not. We live in an age of anxiety and David says there's another way to do life and that is to live under the constant care and protection of the shepherd. And he says this, to sum it up in one word, it's on your sheet. To sum it up in one word, what David is saying here is simply this, this. The Lord is my shepherd. He will restore your soul. All you have to do is ask. This sounds too simple. Yep, it is. And here's the challenge this week. If you find that you're panicked and worried about, well, I'm worried about the kids. Ask the Lord about it. Lord, I'm worried about the kids. Can you look after them? Lord, I have to have that difficult conversation at work. I have to have that fierce conversation. Lord, can you help me with that? Lord, I'm worried about this particular finance. Lord, can you help me with that? Year 12s. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure what, what, what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to be an astronaut or whether I'm going to be a physicist. Lord, can you help me with that? The challenge this week, unlike last week or the week, uh, week before for many of us, is this. For those things that pop up, and they will, that you find challenging and something to worry about, the challenge or the, yeah, the challenge this week is for you to ask the Lord, what am I to do? What should I do? I shall not want. I shall not want. He restores my soul is the last. The second line, I shall not want. The language is old, but the idea behind it is quite remarkable. I can either go through life joyful and contented, or the alternative is discontented. Simple as that. I can be contented or not. We live in a society where some of the smartest people on the globe today spend their waking hours trying to convince you of two things. Number one, you're discontented. Number two, contentment is only one purchase away. Wherever you go, there's a thousand products that cry out, use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, try me, put me in your hair. 
You'll be happy if you have a higher income, better clothes, a sleeker body, brighter teeth and fresher breath. The adverts relating to contentment of body image is actually staggering. You'll be happy if you have abs of iron, other bits of steel, a flatter stomach, sleeker thighs, bigger shoulders. You'll be happier if you're larger in the northern hemisphere and the equator is smaller. The harder we run, the faster we wear out. David says there's another way to do life. There's a good shepherd who knows what you need and he knows what you don't need. What's good for you and what's not. And to summarise it in one word, the good shepherd is simply saying this. I shall not want. He's simply saying this. Simplify. Just simplify life. Does anyone here have too much stuff at home? Anyone here slowly dying of stuffocation? Paul Pearsall says this in Toxic Success. Go ahead and leave some stuff out. Here's a suggestion from him. David says simplify. Paul says it this way. Go ahead, leave some stuff out. There's nothing sacred about always putting things away. If you find yourself in a hide-your-stuff panic when there's unexpected knock at the door, you probably have just too much stuff. Maybe you visit. Your visitors could take some of your stuff when he or she leaves. Perhaps leave your stuff out as a type of perpetual flea market sale for visitors to shop through. Let them take some stuff off your hands and give them assistance to load the truck. Oh, allow spoons in the fork tray sometimes. Write the word joy in the dust on the table sometimes. Remember, dusting is only a process of small particle rearrangement. Irma Bombeck says this, when I die, I want this on my headstone. It's no big deal. I'm used to dust. What would your life look like if you ran slower, chased less, lived more simple, and you framed your words around what David says, I shall not want. Why? Simply because David knew a shepherd that would supply his every need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, is the next line. The alternative to lying down is running around. There's one thing I was good at at school. I wasn't sitting in my chair doing work, but I was really good at lying down. At the end of recess or lunch, little lunch and big lunch, we used to get a little time. We'd run around, fall down, and then we'd go to sleep. I was good at that. David says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a very interesting language here. Do you see that? He makes me lie down. Ever seen a kid who should go to bed and doesn't go to bed? So tired, but won't go to bed. Seen that before? Doof. Our shepherd friend, David Keelor, says this. There are several conditions under which sheep will not lie down. Sheep are real timid creatures. So as long as they're afraid, they'll not lie down and they'll not rest. Because they're social creatures, sometimes when there is a stink fight as to who is the highest in the pecking order, they will not lie down and rest. And because they are creatures of appetite, if they're hungry, they'll not lie down and rest. Sheep will not lie down until they are free from fear, free from friction and free from hunger. What gives the sheep the assurance to rest is the presence of the shepherd. David writes that even though he lived in a hectic world, He had the confidence of a good shepherd. Dr. Meyer Friedman, a doctor who has done a lot of work with people who struggle with frantic activity and burn themselves out, 
says to gain back control, try this one. She goes through a number of different techniques in her book. Here's one. Schedule one or two appointments with non-existent people. There's a good chance they won't show up. Give yourself some time to, here it is, rest. That's what, that's what David is saying. To summarise it, one word David is saying this. Take a rest. Allow the good shepherd to give you permission. He leads me beside quiet waters. You see, sheep, they need to have quiet water, not running and noisy water. Because sheep, even though they're dumb, they're smart enough to know this, that if they fall in and their wool becomes soaked... Unless they take a deep breath and run, they're in trouble. Sheep drown easily. We don't live in a quiet world, do we? Do you ever get tired of noise? Where do you go to get away from noise? Elevator? No. School? No. Home? No. Work? No. Where do you get away? To get away from noise. The world in which we live, the culture in which we, we, we live our lives, is just so noisy. It's so busy. David says, hang on, whoa, 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 hang on. If you want your soul refreshed, if you want to escape this whole soul fatigue thing, allow the shepherd to lead you beside quiet waters. What's he saying? Where do you get away? Because culture is so noisy and we're addicted to it. It's just normal. We don't even think about it. When people go home, they turn on the television, even if they're not watching it. They did a survey, they did a study on people that go home and turn on the TV. At the end of the survey, they said this, the number one reason that people cited to have the TV on even though they're not watching it, is I like the noise. When it comes to TV and social media and computer, we like the noise. We like the busyness because it's just normal. We've normalized it. The Bible says through David, no, 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 you need to decrease your soul fatigue. Therefore, what you need is you need someone that will lead you beside still waters. Take a rest. 66% of people in Australia today watch TV while they're eating the evening meal. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. But you know, years ago, people used to actually sit at the table and talk. But today, that's the stat, 66% of people will sit in, the bed, uh, sit in the lounge room and watch people live life. All manner of stuff, people going to work, people forming relationships, the wrong way sometimes, a lot of times, what's going on in the world, economics, people watching people live life. The average person in Australia today, average person, watches four hours of TV or computer social media every day. By the time you're age 72, that equates to 12 years of your life. The average child by the time they are six years of age, have watched enough TV to outweigh their interaction and their communication with their fathers for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I think the real damage that TV and social media and computer and smartphones has is not so much the content is that it draws us away from the contact. Oh, yes, content is an issue. 
But the issue is no contact with the shepherd. What David is saying here, leaves me beside quiet waters. David is saying, if you allow him to lead you beside quiet waters, it will give you time to wrap it up in one word, time to invest. Family specialist Dolores Curran asked a family she was working with to write down the commonest phrases that they used in conversation during the week. At the end of the week, they got together. The two commonest phrases that the family said to each other during the week was, what's on and move. What happened to, tell me about your day. What happened to, I love you. We live in a frantic world. There are signs of soul fatigue at every turn. The Good Shepherd offers an alternative way to live. Not only did Jesus Christ say it himself, to the generation that he hung around with 2,000 years ago. But he says it to our generation today. Through those words of David as recorded in Psalm 23. And he finishes by saying this. If you'll make the Lord your shepherd. If you allow him to supply your need. He will lead you. He will simplify your life to the point where you'll be able to take a breath. And the guarantee is this. He will refresh your soul. what David's talking about. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? Well, it's not because of the culture we live in, because of the demands that it places upon us. The only person that can control the person sitting in your shorts is you. Nobody else is going to do it for you. It's got to be a deliberate decision Looking at the soul fatigue factors, yep, 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 <laughs> uh, that's me too. What am I going to do about it? Because it, if I don't do anything about it, then I'll be in the same place I am next year as where I am now. If I don't do something about it, if I don't make a change, soul fatigue will continue and deepen. Jesus Christ simply says this, oh, I want you to have life. But I want you to have a life that's abundant. I want you to have a life that you can milk it for what it's worth. I want you to have a life where you have everything you need, including breathing space, including time to invest in your relationships, including time to invest in me, including time to just chill out and draw back and not feel bad about it. Let me leave you with a thought. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters and he refreshes my soul. Shall I pray? Sorry I was in a hurry.
Dear Heavenly Father, it's hard living this life. The expectations and obligations, requirements that we have to fill. Year 12s have just come off a super, super busy time of their life. We're about to enter now into another busy time. Lord, the rest of us, as we plod along, Lord, may we not forget that if we are suffering from what's called soul fatigue, that there is another way to live. And that is to live close, close to you, the good shepherd. It's old language, Lord, but we can pick our way through it and understand it. It's pretty simple. You want to be with us. You want to lead us. You want to protect us. You want to feed us. You want to supply our every need. I thank you for that. There are some in the house today that are living lives that are just out of control. So busy. No busy to invest in the things that are really the durable and more important things in life. I pray for those. I pray for those people that may be new to this, don't have a clear concept of what you're even offering or even how to get it. Lord, I pray that you send someone or something to them to put you in focus and make it clearer. Lord, I want to thank you for the promise that you will refresh our souls if we'll simply make you our good shepherd. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.